0: Amen. If you could make your way back in and take a seat, come on in. Bless the Lord. You guys can talk right after church and get caught up with one another and all the good things that God is doing in your lives. Um. Can I ask you, by the way, how many of you guys like my suit? Okay, all right. I wanted you to know that the only reason I wear it is I'll wear it until Sam is no longer here because it's the only suit he's ever complimented. So, you're stuck with this suit. Okay, uh, this morning's message. Now look at what you've done, you little jerk. How many of you guys remember where that came from? Home Alone. Alone. It is rated one of the most popular movies in the last 30 years. It's been out a long time. And how many of you guys have seen Home Alone? How many of you would agree that there's some funny scenes in it? It's kind of like Three Stooges, but a modern version? Yeah. I think it was a very funny movie. I watch it again and again. It doesn't matter. There's there's certain movies that just, for whatever reason, I connect with, that's one of them. And I watch it again and again whenever it shows up on TV. Um, But of all of the funny scenes, I confess that one scene, though I heard people around me laughing, was one scene that I didn't find funny. Because for me personally, it hit a little too close to home. I mean what are you to do when people use words like that to you whether at work at school at home growing up what are you to do with those kinds of words here's what the bible says we're to do so i i purposely today just want to do things a little bit different because i know that you can kind of get stuck in ruts i'm not going to put any of the scriptures up on the screen i'm just going to read them to you i'll give you the reference you can note them down if you like, but I think you know these verses very well. Matthew 5:44. Jesus said this. But I say to you. Now, Paul, cuz I wouldn't want you to think that Jesus has the last word here. Paul in Romans 12:14 says, "Bless those who persecute you. Bless," I say, "and do not curse." That's Romans 12:14. So, Have you ever read or heard those verses and something inside of you got a little bit frustrated? Even a little bit angry? I mean, come on, God. It's hard enough that you want me to love people who I choose to love. Because they're not always as lovable as I wish they were. But when you're asking me to love and to bless people who abuse me, curse me. I mean, isn't that asking a little bit too much? We've been looking over these last few weeks at the principle in the Word of God called blessing. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow with it according to the Proverbs, the wise man Solomon told us. And we saw that if you today are a Christian, you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then Paul tells us in Galatians that you are of the spiritual seed of Abraham, and all of the inheritance, all of the blessing, all of the favor that God promised to Abraham and his descendants is equally yours. It is timeless in its scope. It is for every single one who names the name of Jesus. And then we saw that the word blessing in the Old Testament is the word brak. And it literally means the hand of the Lord coming down upon you to the extent that you actually collapse to your knees in awe and gratitude at God's beneficence to you. And then last week, we ended by looking at the issue that we are called to be blessers and not cursors and let me just ask you honestly do you think that facebook might change its face a little bit if you actually decided to be blessers instead of cursors blessers instead of criticizers and god says we're to bless and you know as well as i do it's not so hard i mean it can be challenging at times but it's not as hard to bless people who are around you, sitting next to you right now, because you actually like them, most of them anyways, you you think they're okay, you might even call them friends, and so you want to bless them, but what about blessing people that aren't so nice to you, that actually say not nice things to you and about you, so uh, I want to look at that today specifically, but I want to give you this caveat, this kind of, uh, not a disclaimer, but more like a warning that I began to feel this week. It would be very easy for you to sit and to hear me talk about the blessing of the Lord and how we should be blessing and not cursing, and it would be very easy to remember your history and all those times that you blew it as a parent, when in exasperation you blew up and things came out of your mouth, that in that moment you would have said isn't really in your heart. But you know and I know that Jesus said it's out of the heart that flow the issues of life. That something doesn't come out of your mouth that doesn't have some root somewhere in your heart. But it would be very easy then to go back over all of your history and look at all of your failures and to stay right there. But I want to suggest to you something that, has been of some comfort to me. And that is this, and I have said it to you every single Sunday since we began this short series. You can't give what you don't got. That's a biblical principle. You cannot give out what you haven't first received. And every single one of you sitting in this room have probably grown in God. You're not where you used to be. At the time, even when you blew up at your children and you said some things, you knew better, but over time, you not only knew better, you received better. Because when I say you can't give what you don't got, I mean not just what you know in your mind, because most of us know far more than what we do. It's that you've actually received something. I have received far more from God in these last 10 or 15 years than I could have imagined. And so that, how how many of you as parents, especially if your kids are grown, how many of you as parents, and I'm asking you to raise your hands if this is true, wished in some ways you could go back and do it all over again? Look around you. Look at young parents, look around you. These are your old timers saying, we blew it and we would do it differently if we had it to do again. Which is why, as grandparents, it's so easy for us to be nicer. Because we've grown a little bit. So don't sit back there judging yourself for what you didn't do. Or you didn't do well. Because we all have to grow. We're not where we used to be. We're not who we used to be. We've all changed and grown in it. This morning, I want to look at how we bless people. And for... For this time period here as I'm talking to you, I'm going to primarily be talking about how we bless our children. But I believe that the principles are applicable in every area of our lives, whether you look at your marriage, whether you look at your friendships, whether you look at your parenting, or whether you will look at the workplace or the schoolhouse. I believe the principles are the same and that you can apply them as well as what I'm going to do in terms of as children. And I want to suggest to you that the absence of words of blessing create a void in the heart that is automatically perceived as cursing. That's why this is so important. It's not enough just to say, I didn't curse. You have to go to the next level to say, I actually spoke words of blessing. I encouraged, I built up, I edified. So uh, from the earliest stage, we all learned uh, phrases, cliches that kind of helped us learn principles in life. For example, the early bird catches the worm. In other words, get up and get going, get moving. Or we said, a stitch in time saves nine what? Stitches, thank you. In other words, if you see that little hole or that fray, you get going on it earlier, it won't be such a big hole, and you won't have to do nine stitches, you can only do one stitch. Or, early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and We know those. We know there are cliches that we learned that actually were instructional for us. But one of the phrases that we learned as little kids, I would suggest to you, is not true. Your parents probably told it to you the first time you came home crying because your little cousin did something that you didn't like and said something mean to you and your parents said well here's what you need to remember sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me and I want to say to you that's not true it's not true words do hurt and they have the potential of not only hurting but of destroying lives Um, Words have the ability to build up or to tear down a person. I've talked to people who can remember where they were sitting and what was going on in the kitchen when mom said a word of blessing over them. It might have been a simple word like, you know, Uh, you did really good on your homework, or uh, thank you for getting the wood in for the fire. Something little. But they can remember to this day as an older adult what was going on when that word of praise came. But I also have talked to people who equally remember what was happening when their parents said words that were for them, words of cursing. They remember what mom and dad were wearing they remember smells. And every time they see that same, or smell that same smell, they're transported back in time. Uh, I talked to somebody, I think it was at a uh, conference, and they were talking about this, and they talked about a person who every time they heard the song, You are my sunshine, my only sunshine, every single time, they would start crying. And they couldn't understand what was going on. These these are adults now, my age, crying. For you are my sunshine? And then they discovered one day that when they were in the womb, their mom and dad would lay hands upon that stomach and sing that song again and again. I mean, they're, they're a baby in the womb. They can't, they don't know. But words of blessing, just like words of cursing, can stick to you for a lifetime. How many of you guys remember meeting my brother, Michael? No, None of you did. Neither did I. He died five years before I was born. He died at 18 days old. Uh, I think today it would probably have been called a Sid's baby. That death was devastating to my parents. Um, Relatives told me my parents went into seclusion. Which makes sense in so far as my sister Julie came along nine months later. So apparently they were secluding together. Um, But my brother, Mikey, died. My dad's firstborn child, a son. And you would think, wouldn't you, that if son, son number one died suddenly, that one son number two came along, he would be fawned over. He would be gratefully received. He would be the thrill of the parents' hearts. All of my life, though, uh, I heard the opposite. I heard things like, you're not the son that I wanted. My son died. Now, let me clarify, lest you think ill of my dad. First of all, let me just say up front that my dad was as broken as every single one of you sitting in this room. And there were times when he said things that probably later on in life he wished he hadn't said, just like you have. So let's not be too hard on my dad, who's gone home to be with the Lord now, the first in our family to get saved, by the way, that led the rest of our family, for which I will ever be grateful. But the second thing I want to say to you is, I've just told you what I heard but as I gotten older, maybe it's just my memory's not as good as it was, I don't know. But I can't remember for sure my dad ever said those words. But I heard them. I heard them in my heart, whether by action or other words, or maybe I did actually hear them. But I want to suggest to you that whether you say the words or not, attitudes, demeanor, body language matters. And you convey a message. I do remember my dad saying. The way you're going, you'll never amount to anything. Or one of my favorites. What's wrong with you? Can't you do anything right? And you guys have probably heard that from your parents. Everything you touch goes wrong. What are you, stupid? Words spoken and sometimes unspoken can affect a life, can affect how we see ourselves. It can affect how we see the world around us and our potential for a future and it can affect how we see God. So that for many people, when they've been raised in abusive homes with abusive fathers, their image of God as a benevolent, uh, loving, gracious, merciful, kind father doesn't really compute for them because all they have is an experience with an abusive father. Those words... Those actions make a difference um, I can remember only two times in my whole life that my father actually told me he loved me two times the first was when I was about I think it was probably 13 14 years old my dad uh, was um, lead guitarist and the head of a band that played in bars around the area. And he had some friends over and they were practicing and they, those friends had kids and they were all upstairs playing and all of them were girls. I was the only boy. And I'm upstairs bothering my sisters apparently and they started screaming and yelling and my dad in anger and fury got mad, ran upstairs, what's going on? And of course, I blame my sisters. Uh, they pointed and says it's Chris's fault. It probably was. My dad picked me up at the top of the stairs and threw me down the stairs. At the bottom of our stairs, as you went down the stairs, there was a shelf It was about this deep. There was a shelf with a big board across it and on top of it is where we piled all of our games. My head hit that shelf and I ended up in the hospital. Uh, That was back in the day when I'm sure they wouldn't have asked questions about how did this happen. It was more like, oh, you split your head open, let's deal with it. My dad brought me home from the hospital in a three-seater station wagon. He was in the front, I was in the far back, I couldn't open the back door, and I sat there waiting for him to open it, only to hear him say these words. You know, I really do love you, you know. Now, let me ask you honestly, do you think for a kid who has just been taken to the hospital because of what your dad just said, when your dad says the words, I love you, do you think that really computed well for me? I would have said at that point in time, there were a lot of years of evidence to the contrary. Again, keep in mind, my dad was broken, just like I'm broken, and just like you're broken. My father in law used to say regularly, the measure of a church is how they handle with handicapped people. And then he went on to say, but the truth is, we're all handicapped. We just don't know it. The second time, that was the first time I ever heard my dad say he loved me. The second time was. Just a short time, short time, uh, I would say days, maybe a week, before my dad died. He had gotten very bad. The cancer had eaten away his body. He couldn't sleep well, so he sat in the chair in the kitchen, and he smoked. The doctors had said, don't make him quit smoking now. It's the only thing that's bringing him any comfort at all. So he would sit there, and my job was to sit up all night long with my dad and to make sure he doesn't drop the cigarette on himself and burn himself. So that's what I did. And one night, I apparently must have dozed off for a second because I awakened to hear my dad saying these words. You know, I never let you just be a boy because I needed a man's help. I really am proud of you, and I really do love you. I got to tell you, contrary to the first time I heard my dad say I love you, those words mattered. They made an impact upon my life that I still feel to this day.
1: Words of blessing matter. Words
0: of cursing matter. They change lives. Here's my point. If you get nothing else, get this. If you're taking notes, you can take this. I have not given you many notes on purpose. But here is my point for the day. In the Scriptures, the blessing was not really a blessing until it was spoken. Let me say it again. And again, I'm talking to you parents, grandparents, but it's applicable for every relationship. Scripturally, the blessing is not really a blessing until it's spoken. In the beginning, into the chaos of the cosmos, God spoke. And He took all of the confusion, all of the messiness, and He brought it into order until He said, it's good. It's good. He pronounced blessing over creation. And then when he finished creation with his pinnacle, mankind, Adam and Eve, he looked at them and he said, man, you guys are very, very good. And then wanting to more perfectly express words of blessing over all of his creation, he sent his word called Jesus Christ who loved the world so much that he gave his
1: life for you and I and for the world.
0: In the book of James, God pictures our tongue in three different ways. First, he calls it a bit, like in a horse's mouth, and then he calls it a rudder, like on a ship. And the idea is both are very small, but though they're very small, they're able to steer something much larger But then James goes on and he says, our tongue is like a spark that sets a forest ablaze. In other words, he's saying, our tongue has the ability to destroy. You know what I mean. I'm going to give you, and for kids who are here, please hear me. I'm doing this as an illustration. I would never... Recommend you say these words. I don't want you to say these words. I I, I don't want you to hardly know these words. But these are words that were spoken to me over my lifetime, mostly by my father. Dummy, stupid. Uh, They used to joke about the fact that they didn't call me Christopher Lanneville. They called me Chris Lanneville because they knew I would be too dumb to spell two long names, Christopher and Lonneville. So they let me know I was dumb. Loser, liar. I love this one, because this one just seems so stupid when you think about it. I mean, some of these words, if you look at them, they're like, okay, you put some letters together, what do they even mean? Uh, this is my mom's favorite words for me. You little snot. Did you guys ever hear that word, by the way? Isn't it kind of a weird thing to say to a kid? You're, you're like the mucus coming out of your nose. What's that about? Um, brat. Jerk. Lazy bum, good for nothing, useless, or phrases they would say repeatedly. Can't you ever do anything right? Or my favorite, why did God ever give you a brain in the first place? You never use it. Or probably the one that hurt the most was my father in anger would often say, Just get out of my sight. I don't ever want to see you again. And I got to say to you, as a kid, that's a hard thing when the person who's supposed to be the one who protects you, who cares for you, says, I don't ever want to see you again. Um, We, and I mentioned this recently, thinking about it, I was thinking about it ahead of time for this message, but we, we give nicknames. And sometimes they're just innocent nicknames, but they're nicknames we give our kids that sometimes can stick with them. I have a friend uh, who has impacted my life significantly? He has a ministry out of Ohio, Ashland, Ohio, out of the seminary there. But he has in his family an Uncle Fat. That was his name Uncle Fat. He never knew his first name. It was just Fat. They said, you know, he had one of those stomachs that actually went down below your knees. So everybody called him Uncle Fat and Aunt Chubb.
1: Aunt Chubb. I had a chub growing up.
0: I still to this day don't know her name. Everybody just called her Chubb Grove. She made the best grape pies in the whole world. But everybody called her Chubb. Or things like this. And parents, can I recommend you never, never do this? I think this is one of the most hurtful things that you can say to a child is, you're our little accident. Like,
1: God didn't know what he was doing. And you didn't know what you were doing, it might be a surprise, but there's no accident in it.
0: Or, shrimp, one of my sisters was called little shrimp, chubby, runt, or one of my sisters was called you blonde airhead. And I know, you know, some of those jokes can seem very funny. But have you ever thought how it feels to the person who's the brunt of them? So much so that some who are blonde dye their hair so that no one can use that joke anymore. In so many homes, parents really do love their children. But honestly, who has time to tell them? Until it's too late? I mean, you're too busy just living life. Trying to survive. How do I have time to do it? We wait for just the right moment. We think about it at night when we lay in bed. After we've had a blow up in our family, we lay in bed and we think about, I don't want to be that kind of mom. I don't want to be that kind of dad. And we lay there and we think the things, but we never somehow find the time or the grace to say the words. A father, too busy making a living, providing for his family what he never had waits until the day his son is leaving to college, wanting to speak a word of blessing, but by that point, the son's too busy packing up. He doesn't have time to hear it. Or a mom, wanting just a moment with her daughter on her wedding day to pronounce blessing over her, but the photographer, Nick, takes her away for that perfect shot. (laughs) No time. Because you didn't make time throughout all those years. My own mother said this, when asked about this kind of thing, said, oh, they know we love them. You don't have to say it all the
1: time. All the time?
0: How about even once? We've all probably heard of the couple who went to a marriage counselor. Uh, They'd been married for a lot of years, but weren't doing well, and they were contemplating divorce. And so they went, and they sat before a counselor, and the counselor looked at the husband and said, do you love your wife anymore at all? And he folded his arms, and with a glare on his face, he looked at the counselor and said, I told her 23 years ago I loved her at the altar, and when I change my mind, I'll let you know. Sounds great.
1: I'm sure any woman would love to hear those words. People learn to deal with
0: this lack of blessing in different ways. Again, please understand, I'm using my family as an example, but don't think badly of my family. I love my family, I love my mom and dad, and I am grateful that God in his mercy saved my dad first, then my mom, which then affected our whole family, which then affects you. So I'm grateful for my family. I'm just using them as illustrations, and the truth is they would say the same thing to you today if they could because they're sitting in glory at his feet and they know way more today than they ever did back then. Think about what their family might have been like. In fact, my dad used to say that. Well, I'm not as bad as my dad was. That makes me feel so much better. Um, I found in my life that the only way you got, quote, a word of blessing or praise was when you excelled, when you brought home that 100 on your test. And so I put all of my effort into excelling. And you do it by means of performance, production, people pleasing. Some people become the class clown to get everybody laugh because at least that way you're popular. We all find some way to try to get it. You work harder and you're harder and harder. And I got to tell you, this doesn't go away just because you become a Christian. To this day, if Karon and I, are having a disagreement about something. We're upset with each other. I mean, we don't, we're not fighting and yelling anymore. I mean, we did that enough in our youth. But we don't do that now. But we still do get upset with each other once in a while. And when she's upset with me for whatever reason, automatically, without thinking about it, I begin to look for something I can do. You know, something, some work, some performance that might make her a little bit less mad at me. A little bit happier. You know, things like vacuuming. Or doing the dishes. Or if I think nothing I'm going to do is going to make her happy, I'm going to come over to the church and I'm going to work doubly hard on a sermon so I can get a stellar sermon. Because at least if she doesn't like me, you will. You perform. You work harder. You try to excel. Some people have realized it didn't matter how good they did. It wasn't going to happen. And so they give up, and they check out of life. It's not worth trying anymore. Back in 1973, this goes back to my era in high school, 1973, Brigham Young University put out a film called A Cipher in the Snow. I don't know if any of you guys remember it, put out by the Mormons. It was an excellent, I mean, it made its way across the nation school after school had it. But it starts out with a scene where a bunch of high school kids are waiting outside in the snow and in the cold for the bus to come. And you can see them laughing and joking and shoving one another by having a good old time. But as you're watching the film, you can notice off to the side there's one young man who's standing alone with his head down. No one's talking to him. He's not talking to anybody. He's all alone finally the bus arrives and they all laughing pile on the bus and sit down the last one on the bus was this young man and you could see him walk in head down walk down the aisle looking for some seat that he can sit in where no one will you know push him away and say no want to be as inconspicuous as possible finally he finds a seat the bus driver closes the door and the bus starts down the road And you can watch this boy the whole time. He's holding his collar. He's pulling. He's holding his chest. And suddenly, he stands up gasping, makes his way to the front. The bus driver, not knowing what's going on, stops the bus and opens the door to try to get some air. The boy stumbles off the bus into the snow, lying there dead. Right behind the bus was one of the school teachers from the school where the bus was going. He pulls over quickly. He and the bus driver come out. What's going on? They don't know. And they feel no pulse. They call for an ambulance. Ambulance comes. Takes him away. They do an autopsy, and they can find no reason, no physical reason for his death. But the teacher, so horrified by what he had just seen and experienced, began to backtrack in his life. And he went back to second grade, where the boy excelled. Teachers wrote commendations that were positive. Everything was good. He seemed liked and seemed to like everybody. But suddenly, by fourth grade, something had changed. His work began to slip. He didn't do his homework. He seemed to be more of a loner, and it went down for them. And they found that over the years, with the death of his father and his mom's remarriage of a stepdad who was abusive, he began to lose more and more words of love, of acceptance, of affection, of care, till a point where he just wrote, I want to disappear. No one even knows I'm here anymore. And they came to the decision that what killed him was no love. Now, again, that's a simple movie that Brigham Young University made out. But I wonder how often our kids read our lack of words as being we don't matter, we don't count, we don't take the time. We, don't make, we make the time for other things. But we don't make the time to say those words. Some parents have the philosophy, you don't have to say the words, you just have to show it. I mean, I go to work every day, I work hard, I put food on the table, I give you the clothes you're wearing, a roof over your head, what else do you want? Is that really what you think it takes to be a parent? To be the kind of parent that raises a generation of people who are secure in who God made them to be. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words have to be spoken. Here are some of the reasons I've heard over the years for why nothing is said. Uh, I love this one. Well, I don't want to give my kid a big head or anything. I'm sure that's a danger. I'm afraid if I give them too much praise, they'll get used to it. Or this one's for a marriage. I work hard all day long, and then when I come home, she expects me to talk to her too? Probably the most common comment that's made. I just
1: don't know what to say.
0: They know I love them without my having to say it all the time. My father used to say, if I get started, I'll have to make a habit of it. Or this one I loved. I can't remember where I heard it, but I did. Telling kids their good points is like applying perfume. A little is okay, but put on too much and you end up with a big stink. Why parents don't speak blessing to their children. And isn't it ironic that we wait till the last second to say it? I don't know how many of you guys had large families like ours, but we did family reunions. We had the Whitaker side, we had the Laneville side, we did big family. I'm talking about, I can remember one family reunion in Phelps, New York, of all places, right near where I lived. Big weekend. I'm not talking about where you come on a Saturday for a picnic, I'm talking about a weekend where everybody comes and sacks out. And they had a nice creek with a rope, and it was the first time I tried to swing out and didn't work so well, but either way, that's, that's beside the point. Um, But this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about, where you have a family reunion where everybody gets together and nothing important is said. Everybody plays softball or horseshoes and they sit around talking and talking about their job or how many deer they got last year and what they're going to do this year. All that kind of talk's going on until the last day. Finally, it's Sunday. And there's only hours left until everybody has to leave. And finally, at the last moment, words are spoken. A brother takes his sister aside and says, Sis, I know life is hard right now, and I don't know what's going on with you and your husband, but I need you to know I've always got your back. If you ever need help, all you need to do is call me. I love you. Or an aunt comes along and says to her nephew, You know that you are the first one to make me an aunt and you have held a special place in my heart all of your life. And I know right now school is tough, but I want you to know you can do it, and I'm standing with you. And by the way, here's a little bit to help you, and she hands him some money. And probably invariably at the end of the day, before everybody can leave, the kids stand up and say, Mom and Dad, I want you to look around. This is all your fault, and everybody laughs. No, the truth is, Mom, Dad, we haven't turned out half bad, and it's because of you, and we want to just say thank you and we love you. We wait till the last second, much like my dad did in his dying day, to finally say, I love you. There are specific words that matter, words that bring blessing or words that bring cursing. Uh, it was some years ago. I don't even remember how long ago it was now. We had Fount Schultz here. Uh, some of you guys might remember him. He's a, an amazing teacher. But Fount did a uh, weekend thing with us and met with the leadership first on Friday and Saturday night. And on Saturday, there came a point where we were going to end the day, and Fount wanted us to put up a couple of chairs and have couples sit there, and we were going to pray over them. And he wanted us to prophesy over each couple. And so different couples would go up and sit in the chair, and it all went well. I, I was one of the ones, Cairn was one of the ones, different ones could give prophetic words, but it was expected that we would. Well, finally, they set Jonathan and April in the chair, and they wanted us to prophesy over them. And Caron, being much, much, much more spiritual than I, was able to hear a word from the Lord clearly, give that word, it was encouraging. I didn't trust myself to give a prophecy because I knew in myself that there's too much of me and how I feel in that for my children. So instead... I just talked to them about how much I love them and how proud I am of them, how well they have done and how they've grown to be the people that they are, how I've been so amazed and impressed by their parenting, by their leadership, all that. I went down the road. And that basically began to end our weekend. That next Tuesday, we had a board meeting. And in the board meeting, Noah Maurer actually was leading that board meeting at that time doing devotions. And to my surprise, he talked about the weekend. All the different things that were in it. And then he said, but there was one thing that stood out in the weekend, and that everybody in this room would say it was the best part of the whole weekend. And we're like, okay, what was that? What did Fount say that was so insightful? He said, the best part of the whole weekend was, and then he looked at me, he says, when you, Pastor Chris, spoke blessing over Jonathan and April. You see, your blessing doesn't only affect the soul of the people that you're speaking to, it affects the atmosphere around you. How many of you remember last week what we did? How many of you remember uh, Stephanie being put on the hot seat up here? Kneeling, blessing, right? How many, you guys remember that? How many of you were grateful that she was being blessed? How many of you felt like, this is so cool. We ought to be blessing people all the time because it does something in the soul. Your blessing changes not just the life that you're blessing, but everything that goes on around you. Your blessing matters. I know that for some of you, you would say, that's just not how our family works. Well, I want to suggest to you that family traditions and family rules can change. Let me tell you a story in closing. True story about a woman by the name of Cheryl. Cheryl was raised in a family which had a plaque that hung prominently on their wall above their fireplace. And the plaque simply said, stand
1: up. Stand up. And
0: in their family, that was their family motto. It came from her great grandfather, who was a pioneer who had moved into the area, built the first house, and then built the next house, which their family was currently living in. And that plaque used to say this, don't take anything off anyone, stand up and fight but it had over the years just been whittled down to stand up. And it meant don't take anything off of anyone. Be your own person. Be strong. You don't need people. That was the family motto. And honestly, for her father, for Cheryl's father, it worked well. He built a business, which then built another business, and that kind of drive seemed to work in the business world. But it didn't work so well in their family. Cheryl's mom and dad fought constantly. This never-back-down-take-nothing-off-of-anybody, never-have-kind-words idea permeated the marriage and the family. They fought constantly, tooth
1: and nail. Finally, one day,
0: Cheryl went away to camp. It was a YWAM camp, youth with a mission. And at that camp, for the first time, she heard about Jesus, and she accepted Christ as her Savior. And she went home, and the first thing she noticed was that plaque hanging over the fireplace. And she thought about it, and she thought about it, and she thought, I just can't do that anymore. When Jesus laid down his life for the world, how can I have as my motto, stand up, when he laid down? And so over time, things began to change in their family. With Cheryl. They would be in the middle of a fight, and suddenly Cheryl would stop and, with tears in her eyes, would say, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I love you. Every night when she would go to bed as a teenager, although it was hard, it was awkward, she would come up to her mom and dad, and she would hug them, and she would say, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. That plaque standing above the fireplace, began to shake because somebody spoke words of blessing. In time, Cheryl's little sister saw such change in Cheryl that she, too, wanted to know what it was about. She, too, gave her life to Christ. And then Cheryl's older brother gave his life to Christ. And finally, last Christmas, on Christmas Day, Cheryl's dad took the plaque down and threw it in the fireplace and said, no longer will we live our lives that way. He saying that now as a baby Christian. Blessing can change a family. It can change a child's life. It can change a marriage. It can change a family, a broad family. It can change a church and a community. Many of us grew up in a generation where love and affection were neither spoken nor demonstrated At best, it was assumed, but it was always
1: wished for, if only. I want you to
0: recognize, I am grateful today that God loved us enough to speak blessing over us and to show us His love. But He wants us to do the same, to be able to receive the blessing The blessing of God, by the way, I've talked to you before about what is the blessing? Most times when we think about blessing, we think about the acquisition of stuff, goods, money, house, car, cars that run, gas. We think of those things. But I want to give you a definition as I'm closing of the blessing, which is this. It is the provision, protection, and profusion of His presence. The provision, the protection, and the profusion of his presence. In other words, what we need in blessing is not all that stuff. What we need is him. And when he comes, everything changes. Would you stand with me? Now, I recognize, just just take a moment and look around the room if you would. Go ahead, just do a full circle. Look around the room. Look at the people you're looking at. Some of them you know. Some maybe not as well. But as I look around the room, knowing what some of you have gone through in your lives, knowing the challenges you have faced, some in your health, in your family, horrendous challenges. Some, some of you have come out of such abusive backgrounds that it's amazing that you're alive, let alone here. I want you to hear me. I believe that if God would stand up here and say anything to you, it wouldn't be about your failures. God knew all about your failures before he ever put his love upon you. He wouldn't talk about all the ways you blow it. He would say to you, you are a wonder to behold. That's what he would say to you. You're a joy to his heart. It's not just that he loves you because he has to love you. He delights in you. And as I look around the room, I'm thinking, man, the fact that you're even here is a blessing to me. I don't mean that you come to this church, but that you're able to love Jesus in the way that you do with all that you've had to go through. Life has thrown you a curve. For some of you, life has thrown you some beanballs, headshots, where you have been left gasping for air but somehow you have found the grace of God and you have continued on. And your life has been changed by that grace. I want to bless you in the name of the Lord. So would you just bow your heads, close your eyes.
1: Father, as I, as one of the elders not the oldest by any means, but one of the oldest. Look around the room and I see.
0: Huh. Think about what Paul and Barnabas said when they came to Antioch. It says they saw the grace of God. And Father, I see the grace of God today in my brothers and sisters. I see your grace upon them. The way you have changed them, you've saved them some of them out of some horrendous situations, you saved them. And Father, I want you to know that their life matters to me. And I know it matters to you. And so I bless them in the name of the Lord with your goodness, with your kindness, with courage, with faith, with hope that this is not the end. What they're going through even right now is not the end. But that you have planned something for them. And yes, in your plan, you have taken this into consideration, but you've still spoken blessing over them. And we are not going to define and measure our blessing based upon our challenges, but upon your goodness to us in the challenge. But Father, I am praying for that protection, that provision, and that profusion of your presence to each.
1: Person here. Let great grace rest
0: upon them. And as one father in the house, to all of the rest of us who are also children, I say you are blessed and a blessing. You are loved. You are wanted. You are accepted. Not just because I say it, but because God, our Father, has said it and declared it. You're wanted.
1: You're not an accident. You're valued. You're valued so much that He paid the ultimate price for you His own life, for your life. Father, let that blessing rest upon each one, that great grace would be their
0: portion, and that they would go. In confidence, not because of self-esteem, but because You esteem them.
1: You, Father, esteem them. Let them
0: go in that kind of security in their identity, I pray. In the name of Christ,
1: amen. Amen. As an elder in this house, along with Kathy and Andy,